How do you do Thanksgiving? It would be interesting to go around the room uh, this morning, if we had time, just to ask and, and find out from each other what the tradition is in our family. Maybe there's a new tradition uh, as your family has changed or you've moved to a different city or something along those lines where you do Thanksgiving a little bit differently. Some people do it at home using plates and traditions that have been there for a long time and uh, as far back as they can remember, kind of like that uh, ham, you know, that kept getting cut off on the end and uh, the tradition that was all behind that. Some do it at the cafeteria, letting others make the mess and clean up the mess. Uh, some do it tailgate style. If you're lucky enough to have football tickets on that particular day, you do Thanksgiving in a hurry before you run into the game. Some do Thanksgiving in front of the TV which reminds me of something that Irma Bombeck said about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving dinners take 18 hours to prepare. They are consumed in 12 minutes. Halftime takes 12 minutes, she says. This is not a coincidence. We all have our ways of doing Thanksgiving. I don't know if you've seen the movie The Blind Side, uh, where they are sitting down to have Thanksgiving, and of course they're gathered. The family is gathered around the, uh, the TV set, and it's just kind of pick up something out of the kitchen, run in, and watch the football game. But there is this change that takes place as they begin to move on into the dining room, as they, uh, they see the, forgot his name, uh, they're sitting at the table, and he is there because he is really full of thanksgiving, and he thinks that's the way that you would honor Thanksgiving. And they come in and gather around and have a real time of Thanksgiving around the table. We sometimes struggle uh, with what we're doing and doing it the right way for Thanksgiving. We kind of give God our 12 minutes and we think this, this is the time I have carved out for God. Maybe it's this one day out of the year. And we just rush on with our lives and we just haphazardly lift up our thanks to God. And so we need help in doing that spiritually. And it's one thing to prepare in this week for Thanksgiving. It's another to allow our, our hearts to be full. Uh, we can know from our scripture today, as Ralph just read it, there is a guideline on how we can properly give thanks to God. And I invite you to look in your Bible at Ephesians chapter 1 or look there on the back of the bulletin, uh, especially on this Sunday, which is referred to as Christ the King Sunday. Churches all over the world, Christians all over the world are recognizing today, this Sunday before Advent, of how Christ is indeed the King. And this particular passage really describes for us why that is so. <clears throat> but Paul conserves no words here in showing his gratitude for the Christians in Ephesus. And he gave plenty of reasons for them to give thanks for what God had done for them in Christ. He loves these Christians who are there in Ephesus. And he just writes this warm and wonderful letter to them. But he reminds them as well as us today that true thanksgiving comes out of the realization of what they had. It is what God had given them in Christ. And this is how we are to do thanksgiving. <clears throat> I think one of the best phrases in this whole portion of Scripture is found in Paul's words uh, that are here in verse 18. If you look back at that particular verse, he mentioned the hope to which He has called you. And he talks about the eyes of their hearts being enlightened. And here Paul called the church at Ephesus to realize what they had. It should be noted that Paul doesn't list houses, jewelry, 
Uh, he doesn't list property, uh, season tickets to the gladiators at the Coliseum. He doesn't mention a brand new two-wheel, I guess maybe they would have had four-wheel drive chariots, but he doesn't mention anything of that nature or a new set of writing tablets. He could go on and on and give them some reasons for Thanksgiving, but he doesn't say anything about them. He doesn't refer to them as being bad even, the things that they had collected. But he begins to remind them about the things that are inside of them, the things that God had done for them, the things that are internal, that make up the very center of their beings in Christ. And he wants them to live with open eyes of what God had done for them. He broke down this enormous provision of God, really in three different parts, three different components. And the first one he mentioned was hope. This hope to which He has called you. Again, these are a people who are living very much without a sense of hope. There are terrible things that are happening to them and around them. But the tense of the verb here for hope is in the past. It is past tense. It's what God has already done for them and established for them through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus. God provided for them true and lasting hope. And in the midst of persecution... They needed to remember this. And they needed to know what was going on right then in their lives. I see a bunch of y'all fanning. Uh, Kyle, can you flip our air down a little bit right there? I thought it was just me. But this hope was primarily referring to what they had right then in their lives. And it included the idea of what was in store for them as well. Oftentimes when we talk about hope, we talk about uh, what is coming for us as we pass on from this earth. And next Sunday, we're going to talk about hope in a little bit more specific way, as hope is the first word, the first thing we focus in on with uh, Advent. And we talk about the prophets and how the prophets continue to call people to hope. So it is something to be enjoyed when we get to heaven, but it is also something to be enjoyed and experienced right here in this world. And that is what Paul wanted them to know. Well, the same hope and calling they received is available for us as well. But how often do we think about it? How often do we get overwhelmed by the waves of our past, our present, and our future circumstances to the, the point that we're just barely treading water? Each week I talk to people who seem to be either treading water and you know, raising their hand for that last time, or they are getting ready to just completely go under and never come back again. It is that lack of a sense of hope. And, and Sometimes this takes place in our lives as well. Even though we know the Scripture and we know the hope that is there for us, we can get so overwhelmed by our circumstances and by our problems that we kind of forget that it's there. This is what was going on in Ephesus. And Paul says, don't forget the hope that you have. We are to know the hope to which He has called us. We are to know hope by remembering the day that we sense the call to Christ. The day that we put our trust in Christ for salvation. Do you remember that day in your life? I can remember when I was uh, seven years old, just that experience of feeling God at work in my life and experiencing this hope of salvation that I had heard uh, our pastor talk about, that I had heard my parents describe, that I, I saw in my brother. And on a particular day when I was seven, I trusted Christ as my Savior. And I thought, I, I want that hope for my life. But we know it also by experiencing the reality, re reality of it in times past. Maybe there was a time when God did part the waters for you and delivered you 
And you remember that time. And, and you remember giving thanks to God much as the, the Hebrew people did as they crossed over. And as we looked at recently, as they even crossed over the Jordan River. And they built an altar right there on the other side of the river to always remember the hope that had been established for them. We know it by coming to church and talking with people who remember hope as well. And as they testify about it. It was great hearing stories recently. I remember last week hearing from Donnie as Donnie was talking about uh, the experience in his life as, uh, and where he served as a veteran and how God had been for them. Been here, there for... Never mind. God was there for you, Donnie. I think you can sing it better than I can say it. And Monica, she stood up and she talked about how God had been there for her and how her church had been there for her. How she had experienced hope. And if, you're, if you were in this room that morning and you heard these descriptions of hope, it had to give you encouragement to know God is there for us. God steps into the midst of our circumstances and provides us with hope. And that's one reason we come together as a church. That's one reason when you feel like not coming to church on a Sunday morning, you need to remember, it may not be as much for me than for someone else who is there. That I could give them encouragement and hope with a smile or with a hug, or with a handshake, or just a word of encouragement, that I could give the hope that has been given to me, to them. It is about being helped and encouraged by other people. But also we know it uh, when we get still, sitting alone with God, in the midst of times when nations are in an uproar, when problems and chaos is breaking all out around us. Discovering the hope that comes from knowing that God is still God. Well, Paul didn't stop with hope. This is just one of the components to this whole provision that God had provided, and he wanted the eyes of their hearts to see. He also mentioned this other thing, this inheritance of God. And this was not just an inheritance, it was the inheritance of God, the riches of God's inheritance. And Paul here is not advocating a uh, name-it-claim-it gospel or a prosperity gospel. And so many people have read into this so many different things. And if you want to see that, just turn on any religious channel um, on, on any... I think they're you know, 24 hours. And you can hear someone tell you this, same, this prosperity gospel. If you, if you just name it, if you believe it strong enough, then God will give it to you. And He wants you to be rich. But this is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is writing about a completely different kind of inheritance. Not about material things that they would receive and enjoy in this world, although God provides those as well. No, he is referring to things that are not so tangible, not weighed on a scale or could even be bought in the marketplace. What he meant was that they could already access and enjoy the riches of God. Those things that were deposited in them by the Holy Spirit. And really the words that are used here by Paul mean a down payment, that the, the Holy Spirit has provided a down payment of things to come. And that down payment could never fully be used. It is something that can always be experienced. And so this inheritance had been in them, but they just needed to open their eyes and to be enlightened to the reality of it within them. They were rich, and they had everything they needed in Christ. Now for a group of very poor people, as they're looking around at one another, hearing this letter that Paul wrote, some of them had to chuckle a little bit. Some of them had to think, you've got to be kidding me. We have absolutely nothing. The uh, government has taken everything that we have. 
Uh, and whatever we do get is uh, stolen from us. And people come and they beat us up and they persecute us. And how is it that Paul could even say that we're rich? And so as they continue to hear from this letter, Paul just expands in a, a very powerful way what the riches are in Christ. And, and if you look back here at the very end of, of this in Ephesians chapter 1, the, in verses 22 and 23, he talks about all of this that has been given to them. And you can just glean all of that for your life as well. I don't know if you've seen this bumper sticker, uh, but I, I, it was a long time ago that I saw it and I cracked up when I saw it the other day on an RV. I'm spending my children's inheritance. I mean, it's probably true, even though not too many people have much inheritance left, but it's probably true, given the cost of uh, fueling an RV these days, uh, much less a Prius, I would think. But what we can know is that our inheritance is safe. What we can know is that our Father did not just... Uh, blow all of our inheritance so that we could not have any at all. God has provided an eternal inheritance for us. And it is there for us to be able to experience and us to enjoy. As with hope, this provision uh, that Paul has listed is available to, to you in equal access and measure today. But I wonder, have you been living out of this inheritance? Have you been living with an awareness of this inheritance? I know a, a guy who uh, was given a large inheritance and he doesn't have to get up and go to work in the morning and uh, he really doesn't have to worry about his finances. He can live uh, as comfortably as he wants to live. That's the kind of guy you want to know, right? Where is he today in here? But that is what God has given to us. Something we can access now. Something we can completely live out of right now. And if you are living that way, your lifestyle will be different. Your list of things to be thankful for when you sit down at the Thanksgiving table this week will be much longer. You, you won't have to just mention two or three things. You will go on and on and be able to list uh, just this continual uh, list of blessings that God has done for you. Uh, things that once bothered you will seldom distract you. Material goods and treasures of this world uh, that begin uh, to, they will begin to become less important to you in your life as you realize that God has given you something so much better. And I love the phrase that it's at the very end of this. If you look there, it says, uh, All things for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And there is that idea in your life that you have found the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The downturn of the market, the price of gas, the price of milk, the heating bill, all of these are just temporary nuisances as you contemplate what you really have and what you really will have when you leave this earth. Your sense of self-esteem goes up as well as you realize that you are a child of God you are what Paul calls co-heirs with Christ in this inheritance. How people treat you and what they say about you can't hurt you at all when you remember who your father is. We've already looked at enough, just with hope and with inheritance, uh, to fill our cornucopia of thanksgiving today. But there is one other thing, and it is something that really enables us to live in the way God wants us to. And it is the power of God in our lives. And Paul uses the word uh, dynamis here, and we get dynamite from that same word. 
And it is that idea of a combustible uh, energy. It is something that, that will explode if we will allow it. And it is something that we tend to think of doing harm but does enormous good because it is God's explosive power that is available to us. And uh, while soldiers uh, abused them, while people persecuted the Christians at Ephesus, while suffering affected them, while governments and religions stripped them of everything that they had, they could know that they had power. The power of brand new resurrected life. This was power to overcome any circumstance and challenge, even death itself. This was the same power that God used to empower Jesus to live, to die, and come back to life. And Paul says, this is for you. Again, if you look back here at the text, he says, uh, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe, according to the working of His great power? God put his, this power to work in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the ages to come. And He put all things under His feet and has made Him the head. And He just goes on throughout really the rest of this letter to describe the power uh, that is there available to them. And we need to understand this power as well. We are people who need constant reminders of what is within us. And as Thanksgiving Day comes this week, we may arrive to that table of Thanksgiving very weak and feeble just kind of blown by all of the things, the storms of our lives in the, in the past year. And maybe last year as you got to the Thanksgiving table, you had much more to give thanks for in your life, but you come weak and feeble. But maybe you come to the table uh, with an obvious list of things to give thanks for. But however it is that you come, recognize that God is the one who gives you everything that you have. He is the power behind everything that you do in your life. And this power is incessantly available for you and to me to tap into at any time. It is the same power, again, that raised Jesus from the dead. It is explosive and therefore requires our undivided attention when we're around it. The only warning label on it is one that is inviting you to use it uh, liberally, to use it constantly, and even to recklessly use it. Use it at work tomorrow. Use it at home in your family relationships. Use it on your missional ministry team. Use it to love a cranky neighbor. Maybe that's the one that lives in the house with you. Use it to heal a broken relationship. Use it to counter evil. Use it to calm your troubled soul. Use it to rise from the dead. The only real danger to your life with this power is not using it at all. And so this reality fits in with the others, with hope and inheritance that we have found here in Paul's warm letter of thanksgiving. These are really not just components. I mean, they are reasons for thanksgiving. And they come from learning how to give thanks to our King. And how it is that we actually do thanksgiving with the eyes of our hearts fully open. Thornton Wilder said, and, and express thanksgiving this way. We can only be said to be fully alive in those moments when our hearts are conscious of our treasures. May you have a heart conscious of its treasure this week. Let's pray. God, we do give you thanks today for the ways that you continually provide